This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. And that's it for now. We've had 15 games come and go, and it's now World Cup time. But it didn't come soon enough for the Big Six who suffered two losses at the hands of the other 14 this game week. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Um, 15 games, well, 15 for most, but 14 for some, have now been played. And now we have a six-week break. How do you think clubs will be feeling about this large break? And who do you think will be benefiting from it most? Yes, Reese. Uh, like the John Cena entrance song says, the time is now. The World Cup is here and the squads are off to Qatar. I would say, you know, some squads will certainly be looking at the break as a, a bit of a blessing, chance to regroup, especially with new managers coming in for the likes of Wolves and Southampton, certain um, injury crises at certain clubs also with the likes of Wolves. Um, you're still looking at those teams who've had tremendous starts to the campaign such as the likes of Newcastle, who we haven't sort of... I, th- I feel like we've hardly mentioned on this pod over the last couple of weeks just because of how well they've been doing. You know, they may be disappointed that sort of coming to an end, sort of not necessarily the form, but um, just their their run of sort of strong uh, performances and then just sort of coming to a, an abrupt halt for six weeks might just put a little bit of a, a downer on it. Um, I think the one thing you can say is that the other 14 teams haven't had players recently who have thrown temper tantrums with Pierce Morgan. That is true. We haven't had anyone go on to that that show and air out all their dirty laundry like a petulant child. Um, it is quite interesting with the with the break about how you're right. I think some teams like Newcastle who have had a tremendous run so far this season, they've been absolutely phenomenal. They're really going to hope that this isn't a momentum killer. Yeah. While some other teams will be really hoping that it is a momentum killer in terms of their downward spirals right now. And I'm looking at the likes of West Ham, um, who have been pretty poor recently. Everton have been on a bit of a downward trajectory recently. And I think it will be a good time for them to to gather their thoughts and really have a hard look at themselves to see what needs to be done for the rest of the season to turn Just reassess around. things. Yeah, absolutely. I think although some clubs, well, a lot of clubs will be having a fair few players go to the World Cup, um, still most clubs will have the bulk of their squad still in and around the training ground. I'm sure they'll give them a little bit of rest, but I'd imagine there was going to be a lot of hard work done and a lot of truths told amongst some squads in this exactly, break. Yeah. There's probably a couple of managers out there who sort of get to the World Cup break now and thinking, I'm still in a job. Yeah, absolutely. Result. Yeah, particularly after, um, I know that we're going to go into more detail about individual teams later, but the likes of David Moyes, pressure has been mounting on him over previous weeks and with some really poor results, particularly from the fan base, um, rather than rumours from the board or anything like that. Um, so it's... I'm sure he'll be relieved and I think he's the sort of manager has the personal belief that he will be able to turn it around. So it's come at a good time for him. Absolutely. And first things first, it's over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for game week 16 of the Premier League 22-23 season. 1. Brentford 2. AFC Bournemouth 3. 
Everton nil. Three, Southampton one. Nottingham Forest one. Crystal Palace nil. Four, Leeds United three. West Ham United nil. Leicester City two. Newcastle United one nil. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. Two. Brighton have Albion 1, Aston Villa 2. Fulham 1, 2. And thank you for those results. I think really there's only one place we can start. After being dumped by Southgate midweek, Ivan Tony went straight back on the town to prove what he's worth and what England will be missing going to Qatar. And boy, did he show what a strong independent man he is. Scoring two goals at the Etihad, including a last-minute winner to see title contenders Man City suffer their first home loss of the season in the league. And what a result for Brentford, ending their run of four games without a win. Tom, do you think Gareth will be texting Ivan to apologise and asking for him to come back and that he's really sorry? Well, to speak of my girl Beyonce, you should have put a ring on it. Um, Yeah, I just... I think it'll be, I think Gareth in his mindset will be thinking, you know, he's been drawing up the squad for quite some time now. And maybe, you know, the one game here or there for a player just after a squad announced, you, you can't sort of, you can't predict that. Um, I just think it was the right moment for Tony to just come out and prove because there was a lot of expectation about whether or not he was going to be in the squad or not. And I, I think Gareth will ultimately, he won't be too upset I, I think he's happy with the squad as it is right now in terms of the setup but I think it was it, like I said it's absolutely the right time for for Tony just to, to, to prove exactly what he's worth and no bigger occasion than to sort of go to the Etihad and uh, scrap um, you know scrap for a winner right right at the death that squad will have been in place now for a good number of weeks I think and the poor run for Tony over the last couple of weeks plus certain investigations into him regarding his gambling issues that probably killed off any chances uh so one game i don't think is gonna worry gareth too much i just I, you're right and i do agree i think he would have been good to go into the world cup i know that we mentioned about taking him to the world cup purely on the basis that he's unbelievable at penalties yep but i think you're right we can't take too many strikers although we do have a 26 man squad and yeah. The largest squad we've ever, I don't think, I think we've ever taken really to a World yeah, Cup. Yeah, it's the in largest. Recent years, in recent they've memory, anyway. it from 23 to 26. Mm. And you can't help but the think... There was the potential for some wild cards in there. I know, but you can't help but think there's got to be room for another striker. Only taking the two out and out number nines is perhaps a bit... They could come to bite us, uh, Southgate back in the arse. And I do, I do think that, say, Kane gets injured and obviously there's been injury queries around Callum Wilson now for quite a period of time. Yeah. If we're suddenly down to then starting Marcus Rashford through the middle, it will be a stick that they used to beat Southgate with with if we then go out early or prematurely. Yeah. So I do think I, I do think it's the right decision, but it's going to be a really tough one. And only whether it's right or not can only really be determined based on how England do in the World Cup, I suppose. If we win it, no one's ever going to second guess it. No, exactly. But if we have a striker issues and shortage of goals, then immediately it's good. the decision's going to be called into question. So focusing back on the Etihad, Brentford went there with strength, with pace, with power, and Man City just couldn't deal with it at all. 
I don't like to say Old oh, Man City didn't look like they were trying because that would take away from Brentford's uh, Brentford's success. But it did seem like Man City, would, almost most of their players did have an eye on the fact that they are due to be playing in a World Cup in a week's time. While Brentford went with the attitude of, this is the best time we've got to go and play at the Etihad. And they completely took that opportunity. Yeah, they completely took advantage of that whole situation. And I think absolutely spot on. You know, there were, there were some sort of, I think... Um, some of the top six, especially because we know probably the majority of those going to the World Cup do sort of come from the top six, that they will be taking their foot off a little bit of the gas just to make sure that they are fully fit. Um, they're still professional in the case that they want to go and get a win. And, you know, Foden's finish at the weekend was just absolutely fantastic. But Brentford, like you said, took the opportunity of going to the Etihad right before a World Cup and absolutely nailed it. Um, they had to defend for their lives for a good portion of the game after they went 1-0 up. Um, and with the Brentford side, who've been, over the last couple of weeks, quite leaky in terms of their defence. Yeah, they've them, not Tommy been great. Say... I know that they've missed, obviously Tony mm. was suspended for a bit and they've not really been banging them in and they have been conceding a fair few. Yeah. Um, it's a complete change of fortunes though, wasn't it? I mean, Christ, if, if that um, if that Brentford side that conceded five against Newcastle showed up at the Etihad to, a, you know, a, an on-fire Manchester City mm. you know that could have been any any scoreline um, but like I said they defended with their lives um, because ultimately they did need the three points there was there was a side that was sort of starting to slump a little bit and I yes. know we sort of say about teams who might be on a bit of a downturn and you know the best way to do it is get points against your closest rivals for them to go to the Etihad and pick up three points and also to be beating both Manchester sides in the first half of the season. Yeah, it was an incredible result for Thomas Frank. Absolutely. And I think we just, yeah, completely yeah. Um, spur Brentford on for the, yeah. um, what well, is not the, the second half of the season, but for... Uh, it's the, it's the, almost the half, half, the half isn't it? It's a little yeah. bit. But we're looking at their, like, even if going back to their last nine results, they've only, this is now only their second win, which is surprising because you think Brentford, the sort wow. of side that they are. But in that, they've lost 3-0 to Arsenal. They've lost 5-1 to Newcastle. They lost 4-0 to Aston Villa. Drew 2-0 with Forest. So, as you say, they're prone to leaking goals. But it's a good result for them now in the Etihad. And to be honest, I think that was probably an absolute acker destroyer of a result. Oh, um, if there ever just, was one, yeah. As you just don't expect it. You had Haaland, who's maybe had a little bit of a break and won't have a World Cup, and everyone's expecting him to go and go and absolutely smash it. You think about how many players would have captained him on fantasy football going into this week, thinking yep. Brentford concede, he's playing. And then, nope, Ivan Tony writes the script himself and is absolutely phenomenal. I think the first goal with the Ben Mee flick on and then his header is yep. unbelievably good header. Like the awareness that he knew that Edison was coming off his line and to loop it over him, oh, insane quality from him. And then just at the death, turning over a Man City corner and taking it straight down the other end and finishing it off. Great team play from them. And just watching how late on into the game, how much energy they had with uh, Wissa taking it forward, then De Silva, and then who just rolled it across to Tony, who caught all the Man City defenders. Like They were in the six-yard box, but none of them even got close to the ball. And he just stepped in and flicked it past um, Edison. So... Yep. Unbelievable from the lad. And Fantastic. Yeah. At a time where there's been a lot of talk about, obviously, the fact that him not making the England squad, 
what a way to kind of answer any critics, answer any doubts of, oh, this result isn't going to affect me. I'm just going to keep going and be, be Ivan, Ivan Tony. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, it, you know, it's, it's summed up in his um, Instagram post at the um, after the game. You know, it's just basically him um, surrounded by a couple of his teammates with his fingers in his ears, just saying, you know, he's not listening to any of the outside noise. He's doing what he is doing. He's doing what he does. Yeah, I feel I feel for him. There's not a good way to come across after that because there's almost an element of that going. I'm gloating the fact that I'm quality, and you might be missing out on. Uh, it's it's almost like after a breakup, um, someone posting a picture on their Instagram of them looking. It, like, it's the picture you post like at three a.m. when you're just sort of looking back through old night. pictures. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, anyway, great result, great upset, and the first other performance of the season. Would you say? For one of the other 14. I think in terms of result, yes, going to the Etihad and getting a win is an unbelievably good result for a team from the other 14. But I think so far there have maybe been some bigger results and bigger upsets yeah. so far. Um, I look at some of the games um, that have been played, for example, against... Liverpool by the other 14. I look at Leeds getting the win against them. I see Forrest getting the win. Like, admittedly, Liverpool haven't been at their usual standard yeah. um, that we've come to expect over the last couple of seasons. But even, I th- I don't know. At the, the fact I, that they I, went to the Etihad yeah. and got all three points, yes, that is really noteworthy. I just think that there have perhaps been some yeah. other results where the team absolutely dominated because you can't, for example, Brentford didn't have all of the play. They just took the two opportunities perfectly. Yeah, it was pretty much, yeah. Um, I, th- I think you're right. I think there have been better performances. Um, I just think in terms of biggest result of the season mm. for oh. for one of the other 14 to go to the Etihad and pick up three points, yeah. there's no there's no bigger right now because they, they are champions. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but no, quality performance from Brentford, unbelievable, and Ivan Tony showing his critics what he's uh, what he's made of, and now he gets a nice holiday, doesn't he? So, yep, absolutely, a couple of weeks, and then probably back into a, like a training camp. Exactly, and it'll be interesting to see how they come out in the. Um, it's almost an, a bit annoying for them because they would have really liked to have this result as a boost of momentum going into a couple of games. Yeah. Instead, it's yeah. kind of like a bookend result of. Oh yeah, we've got this just before the World Cup, and then it's just how much they can carry, yeah. if they can carry any of that momentum into the second half of the season um, after the World Cup. So, although Thomas Frank's Brentford have been flying this season, and he's one manager that has not had any concerns about his future, there have been many other managers so far this season who have had to consider unemployment. Um, obviously, we've had five managerial changes in the other fourteen so far with. Bournemouth, Southampton, Wolves, Villa and Brighton all having to go on a recruitment spree, with most recently Southampton and Wolves making full-time appointments. Let's uh, let's first start off with uh, Wolves then. It's taken them a while to pick their man. It was a man that they first wanted and then got rejected and have gone back again. Uh, Julian Lopetegui, what do you make of the appointment? I like it. Um He's a manager who comes in with a wealth of experience over from La Liga, you know, come over from Sevilla with a, a side that Sevilla that were really knocking up the higher ends of the table in La Liga, especially with the um sort of like the downturn of Barcelona and um 
you know, Atletico having quite a poor season. He comes in with a wealth of experience. You know, he's had a bit of international experience as well as being manager of Spain, you know, more infamous, infamously being the manager. Say, that he, got... was, he was Spain manager for all of three yeah. minutes, wasn't he? But, um, I think he was in for quite quite a number of oh, times. Was he, was he before the... Sacked. Uh, got okay. sacked before the 2018 World Cup, literally just two days before it, because of um, you know he was holding talks with uh, Real Madrid about their um, vacant position. Um, but no, I, I think it's, it's a good appointment. Obviously, he has no Premier League experience, but it's never held anyone back before. I think you know that's sort of whenever you know a new manager comes in who has no experience, it's always one one of the big things that sort of gets labelled uh, upon them immediately, saying that they have no Premier experience. But this is a man who is a football man. He knows um, his style quite well and comes in with a wealth of experience, as I mentioned. So I, I like the appointment, um, but he has a lot of work to do. Yeah, looking at his career, so um, did some managing of like Real Madrid B and Spain under underage groups. He then spent a fair time in Portugal with Porto and was there for uh, just under two years, managing 78 games, which is quite impressive. He then was with Spain for two years. So, um, and as you say, taking him up to the start of the World Cup in Russia, um, and that ended quite fantastically. Then he went to Real Madrid and it didn't really last that long for him, only 14 games in charge, but then quite a quite a promising reign as Sevilla manager for um, well over three years with 170 games under his belt there. He's then traded that in for the Premier League now. We've always talked about Premier League having the best players in the world. We've now got, even now outside the big six, the managers we're getting now, like even recent appointments of Julian Lopetegui, Unai Emery, and we've got the likes British managers proving their worth as well. Eddie Howe up in the top three with Newcastle for the time being. Yep. Um, it does seem to be the place to be a manager right now is in the Premier League. Obviously, you've got the big, you've got the Ten Hags, you've got Klopp, you've got Guardiola, um, you've got Conte. It's incredible now that we're getting that talent filtered down into the other 14 as well. It's quite a wealth of experience. It's um, yeah, quite amazing the the level of managerial um, sort of names that are coming in, as you said, into the other forward scene. You know, we also mentioned the likes of, um, even though I will granted I, I haven't heard of his name prior uh, to his appointment, uh, Deserby coming in uh, for Brighton, mm. someone who had uh, a good spell uh, manager over Shakhtar Donetsk, so a bit of Champions League experience in there as well. He's come in and hit the ground running. You know, it's been sort of a little bit, a couple of defeats here and there, but the team is still playing as they were under Graham Potter. So there's there's that continuity there. Um, yeah, I I I I think as though it's it's a very good time uh, for the Premier League by seeing these sort of names coming into the into the league and performing well. Um, and it, it can only really be a good sign for the other fourteen. I. I do also, you know, we all sometimes also say that, you know, some of these teams need to take a chance sometimes on British managers, being that it is a British league. Um, but for those sort of names coming in, well, I, that's, I can that's only be impressed by it. Like, looking at, in terms of just purely on experience, Villa's upgrade from Gerard to Unai Emery is an incredible upgrade. 
and maybe it's made other clubs look and think going well what maybe if we got maybe. rid of our manager earlier yep. like i'm not as i'm not advocating managers getting sacked but the nicest way you look at everton and we'll get onto the pressure frank's under but do you think a lot of everton fans will be going well, why can't we have a Julian Lopetegui? Why can't we have a new Unai Emery? We've got Frank Lampard, whose experience is Derby and getting sacked at Chelsea. Chelsea under a transfer embargo where he couldn't really do much. Don't get me wrong, he was, he was good. At, he did have a good stint at Chelsea, but he, as you say, he almost did well because his hands were tied and he didn't have to make as many decisions because and he There wasn't that pressure, yeah. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. So it does make you wonder. Um, and you just mentioned about British managers being given the opportunity. Wolves have gone for a big international name coming over from yep. Spain in Lopetegui. And then Southampton have gone for Nathan Jones, who... Nathan Jones, yep, from Luton. For, for the fans of the EFL um, who listen to the podcast will be more than aware who he is. Large stints at Luton, had a brief spell at Stoke, didn't go too well for him, and then back at Luton. And... For what Luton, in all fairness, is a small club, he's done a tremendous job with them and think it's good to see a big team give, what a Premier League team, a big team in general, give a young British manager the opportunity to tackle the biggest league in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I guess I really should actually counter my own argument that the fact that we also have, you know, we've also mentioned the likes of Eddie Howe and, and Graham Potter in, in big jobs right now. Um, but yeah, going back to Nathan Jones, I think it was as soon as the the appointment, or rather the announcement was made that Ralph had lost his job, immediately I went straight to the odds checker um, and had a look at sort of who was the favourite sort of to come in. And Nathan Jones was number one, sort of like, I think, like Deserby was for Brighton. I think Jones was for Southampton. They immediately looked at him and thinking, that's our guy. And we didn't really hear of any other names being mentioned or thrown into the hat in terms of who was having discussions with Southampton. It just felt pretty much straight off the bat that Nathan Jones was Southampton's uh, prime candidate and they've gone out and got him. Um, so, yeah, given the chance, it be interesting to see if it works out. Hasn't had the experience up in the Prem at a higher level sort of competition. You know, the likes of Lopetegui has managed in La Liga, has managed in the Champions League. Um, Nathan Jones hasn't had that sort of wealth of experience in a top level but, job but yet. But given the squads that both teams have, Wolves have this international squad, massive influence from Spain and Portugal. Well, the Southampton squad has got a lot of youth, a fair amount of British players, all players who have all come through the British Academy setup. So, in terms of styles of football, I think both appointments suit, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, you know, that, that's sort of going down my sort of road is the fact that Southampton clearly labelled Nathan Jones as, as their prime candidate. Hmm. So I was listening to um, the, well, going back last year, there was, um, I don't know who it was from Southampton. I want to say they're either their chairman or managing director uh, was interviewed on the BBC on uh, the Monday Night Club um, show. And in that, they asked about, because they have this constant recruitment strategy for both players and manager and technical staff. And they were asked, oh, should you get rid of Ralph or should Ralph go? Do you know who your appointment is? And he turned around and said, yes, we already know. 
Um, he actually said, we've got a list. And I think the person who was top of their list, literally, I think a couple of months before he was interviewed, had been taken by another club. So right. they just worked next down the list. And the fact that they did make the appointment so quickly shows that they had such a clear idea of what they wanted, which yep. is, we've always said, and I've always been of the opinion, if you're going to sack a manager, you need to know who's coming in. And that's why when Wolves did sack Bruno Lark, I was like, mm, do you actually know who's coming in straight away? Yeah. And obviously they've been able to get Lopetegui, which is great. But I think Southampton with Nathan Jones, it's just quite heartening to see a British manager get the appointment. The cynic in me, though, is going, well, it's a manager with championship experience. And looking at where Southampton are in the league, is that not part of their thought process? Which I know is very cynical of me because you'd expect, oh, I'd want Nathan Jones to go in and keep Southampton up. But they are definitely at the bottom end of the table quite solidly. Yeah, it's one of those appointments, I think, where, um, you know, if, if, if it comes off, it'll look like an absolute masterstroke. Um, and it will be seen, you know, and lauded to the fact that, you know, given the opportunity, um, a championship manager coming up, managing a Premier League side for the very first time, getting them out of relegation and getting them away from danger, then on the flip side, if it does not go well, doesn't plan out, and ultimately Southampton remain in the relegation zone or the relegation scrap and potentially get relegated at the end of the season, it's one of those where you sort of question. Um, I would be thinking that those in charge at Southampton, you know, that they have a bit of a hit and miss record of recent times of managerial appointments. You know, the likes of Pellegrino, the likes of Mark Hughes really didn't go down well with fans. And, you know, Ralph was, even though he didn't really take them that next level, he kept them relatively stable. I think now is the time that they've obviously chosen to, to make that switch. Um, and just in time for a, you know, six-week break. It, I, I'm struggling to pass comment on it at this moment because ultimately I don't know too much about Nathan Jones mm. um, but it's one of those I think you look at the end of the season just think you know it could be a 50-50 split on terms of yeah. whether or not it was a good or bad decision yeah I completely get I completely get that it's just such a big task of him I think for any manager going into Southampton at the moment is a really big task because I'm not really sure what necessarily is going wrong with Southampton other than they're just not picking up results because they do play well in a lot of games. Yeah, they, but the performances they just, are there. But they just don't get results. So looking yeah. at recent games, like they've only lost by small margins. So um, this season so far, they've got a draw with Leeds, score draw, lost to um, lost to Man U by one goal, lost to Wolves by one goal, lost to Villa by one goal lost to Everton 2-1, lost to Palace 1-0. Like, it's always pretty tight with them in all their games. That's only a yeah. couple, like, only needs a couple more goals to have gone in for them. And suddenly, they could be near mid-table team, if they, or at least away from danger. If you were to say, say a couple of those losses they actually got draws out of, they would then suddenly be looking at like 14th, 13th kind of areas. Um, 
and I don't know, it's it's a big task for Nathan Jones going in there. Um, and good luck to him, um, because I think he'll need it because it's a really tough role that he's taking yeah. on there. I think the key thing uh, for Southampton is just they, like I said, that there's a lot of close performances in there, but um, the one thing that does sort of stand out to me is the fact that they don't score many goals right now. Um, and I, they haven't really replaced for me Danny Ings. No, Shea Adams is a good player, but he's not. He's not. He's not, he's not your guaranteed he's, goal scorer. He's not like a Mitrovic who leads that line for Fulham. He's not an Ivan Tony for Brentford. No, so I think Southampton well, need that that yeah, forward. I know it's not a good barometer, but if you think about players that play for perhaps the less strong, well, strikers that play for the less strong teams in the Premier League, that yeah. players who manage fancy football teams will pick. They will yeah. pick a Mitrovic. They will pick an Ivan Tony. They will perhaps pick a Danny Ings. Um, but no one is going to run and pick a Southampton striker, are they? Just because no. they there's not a guaranteed return on that at all. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, good luck to Nathan Jones. Um, obviously, Hassan Hootel, we've covered, couldn't stand up to the scrutiny and was sacked. But there are other managers in the league who are a little under pressure. We've got Everton, who have taken very much a slide of recent and only sit one point above the drop zone. And as does David Moyes' West Ham, only one point above the drop zone. And there's a fair amount of pressure on him as well. Um, do you think they should take the approach of a Wolves and Southampton and replace their man and Aston Villa and who brought in a strong man, new manager who's brought a breath of fresh air into the team? Or do they do a Leicester and stick with their man and have it turn around naturally and organically? It... Ultimately, I think, because obviously we're, we're recording this on the Tuesday, so this is two days after the end of the game week. Um, I feel as though any teams that would have made a change by now would have already announced it. Mm. So for Everton West Ham, Moyes and Lampard are going to be there come the return of, of Premier League football in December, no doubt. And I would have been surprised had they lost their jobs anyway. Mm. I, I still think that they are the, the the people who are rightly still in that job and deserve the time. Because um, for what Moyes has done with West Ham, his second time round has been absolutely fantastic. It's obviously given them European football um, consistently performing. I mean, we only mentioned the um, the European on the European feature the other week, the fact that West Ham have not lost a game in Europe um, in the group stage in the Conference League all season. The first time, um, uh, the first team to ever do that as well. Uh, in the second year that the competition's running, um, and for for Lampard, they obviously see Lampard as the long term. I wouldn't say solution because it's not, it's not really turning out to be that way just at, at the moment. But there have been there have been signs with Everton during the season. You know we have you know I'll get onto the slide in a little bit. But there have been signs in Everton in terms of defensively um, defensively sound. They just need to score goals. Um, you know that's Everton one win in seven now, three games without a goal, and five in the last six where they haven't scored. So clearly the, the issue with Everton right now is scoring goals defensively. I think they're what's uh, third or, or fourth. Yeah, um, they, they've been good defence. But this is exactly what we discussed at the start of the season on the preview yeah. at Everton, is that they bought in Tarkovsky, they bought in Cody, good defence. Yeah, They've then 
That's wrapped up. But they sold Richarlison, understandably, it's, they couldn't turn down that money. No. But then it left them a regularly injured DCL and Anthony Gordon. And it's gone to show that they, the rest of the team hasn't been able to chip in enough to support them with goals. Yep. Um, it's exactly the problem we thought would happen. And it just almost delayed because I initially thought Everton are in danger under Lampard. They then turned it around and were looking good for a bit. And now there's this slip and they're kind of where I thought they would be. And I think Everton are just taking that the decision, keep Lampard because hopefully he can harbour some sort of positive change in this side. But I think it's more a case of they don't necessarily have he doesn't necessarily have the team to work with. Like they need they need a forward. They need this transfer yeah, window. 100%. Like Wolves yeah. as well. There's actually quite a few teams that do just need a striker. Um Everton being one, Southampton being one, and Wolves being one. But strikers and goal scorers always come at a premium. Yeah, absolutely. As for Moyes, I know you mentioned that European success. Um, and we said that that's their best chance of getting a trophy. It's their best chance of getting European football next year. Um, well, West Ham fans are very unhappy with the routine performances. That's a couple of losses at home now on the bounce. Lost to Palace at home from a last-minute goal. They've now lost to Leicester, a very good Leicester side in all fairness. James yep. Madison, once again, doing bits in that game, completely justifying his England call-up. Um, but the pressure's there from the fans, but Moyes has been given the backing of the board, which which is almost Ooh. a curse, isn't Ooh. it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one you don't want. Exactly. Um, personally, I don't want him to go because I don't think there's anyone you can bring in at this point. And I think there's enough in that West Ham side that they won't get relegated, but can win the Conference League. If West Ham fans disagree with me massively, then let's hear it. But in my mind, if West Ham finish 17th and win the Conference League, that is a better season than finishing 9th and winning nothing. Are you sure about that? I know. I Staying know in the Premier League and winning a European trophy and guaranteeing football ne- European football next year is better than finishing ninth in the Premier League table because that gets you nothing. But is that is that okay? So there's 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 a couple of ways you can look at that. Is that a seventeenth where you are, you know, safe for you know the majority of the like the back end of the business part of the season and just sort of maybe just on the beach for like a couple of weeks, or is that a seventeenth? I'm saying on the last day of the season. I'm saying seventeenth is seventeenth, regardless of how you get there. If you're in the Premier League next season, so like if you compare the lists, you get Premier League next season, European football next season, and you win a trophy against Premier League football next season by finishing ninth. If you turn around at the start of the season and do compare those outcomes. Fans on the whole would gravitate towards a trophy, particularly a team that doesn't win trophies often, hasn't won a trophy, a major trophy in 30 odd years. Like since West Ham won an FA Cup in uh, 1980, you've had Swansea win a League Cup, you've had Blackburn win the Premier League, you've had Wigan win the FA Cup, you've had uh, Portsmouth have won the FA Cup, Spurs won a trophy. like if you're looking at what what do football fans want to see? They want to see their team win trophies. You don't get anything for finishing ninth. 
no, you also don't get anything for finishing 17th either. And just, no, no, um, but but if you win the conference league, what I'm saying is the trade-off I'm proposing is that it, like not forget about the Premier League, but let's be honest, you, West Ham aren't getting European football next year via the league. That at this point, I think they're too far behind to be able to get that. Particularly when you've got the likes of Newcastle who have joined the uh, like Champions League, um, Champions League spaces, and then the likes of Chelsea are underperforming and Man U are underperforming. So it means that they're going to end up in those lower European spots, probably. The Conference League win, and they've done well in the Conference League so far. The level of opposition still in the Conference League is more than manageable, more than beatable, in my opinion. Um, Obviously, it is a high-risk thing, but once again, if as long as you're in the Premier League next season, that's the bare minimum that fans would want to see. That's asking a lot. I, I, th- I think you are putting West Ham fans through the ringer if you have them. If you have West Ham finishing seventeenth and on a European run, I just that's such a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I think it's also asking the board to be very, very brave and not making a decision, which. I think this West Ham boards in recent history have always made the decision to change managers when performances in the league haven't been going. True, but at the same time, they've in whenever they've made those changes, they've not had anything else to fall back on. No, it's like, a good well, point. Like I just can't, David I, Moyes in this club has given West Ham probably the last two seasons the best two seasons as a West Ham fan. There's no doubt about that. No, yep, yeah, I'm not. I'm not denying that. I, I just, I can't, I think there's a lot of, I reckon there'll be a lot of West Ham fans who think accepting a 17th place finish for a uh, major title. For a major t- It's a European trophy. How often is the teams win those? It is a European trophy. I just, I just think, you know, the questions will then be there sort of saying like, well, if you can perform, if you can perform in Europe, why are you not performing in the league? And we're already asking that they're unbeaten in Europe and then they've had an awful start to the season. I ultimately look, West Ham are 16th right now. And I think deservedly so because they yes. haven't been good. I, but I, I agree with you. They on haven't paper, been scoring enough goals. They, in all fairness, their defence hasn't even been that bad. They've only no. conceded 17 goals this season. They've only scored 12 in 15 games. Their issue is they've not been able to just get it over the line. If you look at Palace the other week, they took the lead, then conceded one, and then they conceded in like the 90th minute or so from Zaha uh, to lose it. They're very good at throwing away results, this team, at the moment. That's why okay. I think there's... There's no need to change a manager because I think it's so close to being good. No, it's so that, close that, to them that, getting results. That's the thing. And I, I don't I don't think West Ham will change manager because if you look at Leicester right now, Leicester were extremely patient with Brendan Rodgers and he has completely turned that side around. They are now 13th and just going upwards. Hmm. Um, and I think West Ham, even though we've mentioned pre, you know, so many times about the new players that they've brought in, and it might take a little bit of time to gel. Those players are now starting to perform. You've got the likes of Scamaccio scoring goals. The players like Bowen are not performing. Well, and that's why I think now we're actually looking at the World Cup break. It's a great time for them to kind mm. of like... He was in the England squad over the summer. Ultimately, I don't think Bowen was ever getting in. If he was still performing up to the standard of last year, yeah. I think he would have. But... 
he hasn't. He's got a couple of goals and maybe a very few assists. Yeah. But it's he's not been a, a consistent a really he's not time. been like even when he has scored, they haven't it's not like he's had consistent performances building yeah. up to it. It's been a case of uh, I don't know, you can't knock a goal, I guess, but right place, right time kind of situation. Yeah. I don't know, I think there's a there's a lot of players in the squad who just need to up their game and yeah. it's so close to being good. So they lost to Palace 2-1, 90-minute goal. They lost to Man U 1-0. Like, they could have got something out of the game very late on De Gea kept the minute. Um, they lost 1-0 to Liverpool at Anfield. There was like a clearance off the line right at the death as well. They drew only one all with Southampton and the referee got in the way of the goal. They lost yep. 1-0 to Forest at the start of the season. Like, there's a lot of almost unlucky results. Um, they lost 2-1 to Chelsea, but they should have. They had a goal wrongfully disallowed late yep. on in the game. It's all almost working for them. And um, I think I think maybe the thing is, and this might be because it's going into the World, uh, World Cup now, I think fans were particularly upset about Saturday's game because West Ham offered absolutely nothing at home to Leicester. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't know whether that's just a lot of them, like there's five or I think about five of them going to the World Cup, whether they're like, well, let's take it a little bit easy, lads, because we've got to focus on the World Cup. Yeah, um, but, but Leicester was disappointing. Yeah, Leicester mm. also had a number of players who were going to the World Cup. So, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that's a. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a reasonable excuse. I'm just saying that that could be a reason. It's not good enough. Yeah. Um, but and I think that's, that's why fans are yeah. upset because it seems like the players aren't giving it all. And is that a case of um, Moyes not being the right man to get it all out of them at this point? Well, I know. I know what David Moyes needs to say. He needs to take a little page out of uh, Jesse March's book and saying that he's so sick of losing. He's never, never lost this much ever before. The thing um, is, he would be lying because he did manage Sunderland and he has lost this much before. He, he also he was at Sociedad where he did exactly. lose this much before. Like, yeah. the, the, David Moyes, what he does is win, but also lose. And kicks balls at um, ball, ball girls. So. In all fairness, it's sat up nicely on the volley. You've said that many times before. Yeah, and it's because he said it. Quote, quote straight from the man. No, no, no remorse whatsoever. Why did you volley the ball? Yeah. It's sad nicely. nicely. <laughs> We've all done uh, it though. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, West Ham fans, if you are listening, obviously just message into the pod. Would you accept 17th for a uh, European title this year? Love to yeah. hear your thoughts on that. And also, do you think Moyes is the right man to take you forward for the rest of the Premier League season, European football or not? Because definitely close to being in a relegation fight at the moment. Yep. Perfect. perfect. All right. I'll. It wasn't just a weekend of Premier League football that we've been treated to in the last seven days, as we also had the League Cup round three. And of results go for the other 14. It was very much a mixed bag with six of the other 14 being knocked out. But then some big results with Brighton knocking out Arsenal and Forest knocking out Tottenham. This means that actually of the big six, we said goodbye to Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal. And with the next round for the round of 16 draw with Man City playing Liverpool, it's almost a prime time for the other 14 to maybe have the chance of a major trophy. We've got six teams 
in the round of 16, and they are Wolves, Southampton, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Brighton, Leicester, and Nottingham Forest. And also added to this, it's a really awkward time to have the fixtures. So it is literally right after the end of the World Cup. So you'd imagine some teams are going to really be lacking on player fitness if these players go late into the World Cup. So Tom, what were your surprise results out of there? And who do you think will be most happy with the fixtures going forward? Well, I think absolutely, you know, the two that you've already mentioned, uh, the likes of Brighton beating, uh, you know, Premier League leaders Arsenal and Nottingham Forest beating Spurs, who, you know, their three Premier League wins this season so far for Nottingham Forest have all been 1-0 wins. They've sort of gone one up in the in the League Cup and actually won a game by two goals to nil at home. So there is that. And But like you said, this really opens up the draw. And could we have another season by where... You know, we look back to when Swansea won the uh, the League Cup. So yeah, the 2013 League Cup final, Swansea absolutely hammered Bradford, which is impressive for Bradford to get to that stage. Was it 5 nil in the end? It was 5 nil. Nathan yeah. Dyer. That was it. He got a brace. Then um, Michu and De Guzman with two goals as well. Under Michael Laudrop. What a... What a win for the other 14 alumni. The fact that they were playing Bradford as well. Um, what a run that they must have had. But yeah, it's now a great opportunity for teams to capitalise, isn't it, in the other 14? Yeah, absolutely. And you're sort of looking at the likes of of a Newcastle, for example, who are up in third right now, have clearly got things nicely settled in the league and are playing good football. The fact that we're going to lose City and one of City and Liverpool in this round... Um, also looking at the likes of Brighton, who've got uh, Charlton away in the League yeah, Cup. You League know, the one oppositions remaining... is quite uh, quite nice. Southampton League one opposition also the last remaining London that. side. Mm, exactly. Um, and, well, in all fairness, so... it's that that game isn't really so much a derby, but it's a game of who hates Palace most. Pretty much, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That that weird one that that Brighton have over over Palace. I think for me, the biggest results, though, obviously, it wasn't just the fact that Forest beat Tottenham or that Brighton beat Arsenal, is the fact that both Tottenham and Arsenal put out strong squads. Tottenham's squad that they put out was pretty much their full-strength starting eleven, And it just makes me wonder, obviously, this performance, is it a long time coming for Forrest? Or is it just like one of those lucky nights under the floodlights at the city ground? I think that was always going to be a tricky tie for Tottenham, no matter what. Mm. And, you know, whatever side that they put out. It, Tottenham have been a side recently whereby they, they do concede... A number of goals and they do tend to go two goals behind so i think forest really capitalized on that and you know we always mention about the atmosphere that the city ground holds i think that was a prime candidate for i you know it is one of the other four teams beating you know a lower league or well not lower league um a low in the division um team beating one of the big six that is always going to be an upset no matter what mm. um you know, absolutely fair play to, to Forest. They they took advantage of that, and you know got a, a, a fairly decent tie against Blackburn Rovers in the next round. Who you know, it's a team who have been flying in the Championship. Yeah, and speaking of Blackburn, I think that'll be a result that West Ham will be disappointed at. We have uh, yeah, just been talking about their chance of getting trophies, and they uh, wouldn't. They initially went cut. one nil down. They then went two yeah. one up, and then conceded late on in the game. Once again, not being able to hold down a result has been a bit of a character flaw of David Moyes' side so far this season. And then losing on penalties, it going to the 10th penalty, and then 
Angelo Ogbonna hitting the underside of the crossbar to put Blackburn through to the next round. That's a result that David Moyes will be kicking himself over, thinking that if they've done that, particularly as the teams that have gone out, it is the case that the team, the the big, the bigger teams, aren't in it. Obviously, there's yeah. still a large Premier League presence, but on the whole, other than well, I suppose looking at Newcastle, being unbelievable this season, and if you're knocking out one of Man City or Liverpool, anyone's fair game to beat in the Premier League in the tournament. So, yep, it's um. I think there'll be a lot of teams kicking themselves having been knocked out, I guess particularly to lower league opposition. It was such a good opportunity in West Ham and then Brentford being the only teams that lost to lower league opposition, both on penalties as well. It's going to be really difficult for them to reconcile and really frustrating for them, particularly if you look at West Ham, Blackburn, then go and get a draw against Forest. That would have been a really good game to go to and have um, have Forest visit at the London Stadium. Yeah, but, and and also like I think the fact that you know we, we look at sort of these competitions where it's additional fixtures, um, and West Ham obviously have a lot to think about in terms of their league performance, and also the fact that they are still in Europe. It was a competition, you know, this sort of this competition runs not concurrently with European competitions. You know, we don't go back into European fixtures until what like late January, early early February, and I think the League Cup is done by sort of late January at the latest, isn't it? Um, most of it, I think. The finals in February normal normally, but I don't know whether it changes at all. Yeah, because of the nature of this season. For, personally, I think these dates are ridiculous. I know there's nowhere else in the calendar to fit them, considering the final of the World Cup is on the 18th, Sunday the 18th. We've then got that week League Cup fixtures with like the the all mostly initially penciled in for the 20th. Yeah, um, and then you've got the likes of Man City Liverpool being three days before Christmas. Like it's it's a great opportunity for teams to play. But if anything, the lower league opposition, like you're looking at Burnley, they're playing Man U. I know it's at Old Trafford, but considering a lot of Man U well. players would have been yeah, Burnley are playing very well in the championship. Man U will have a lot of players who have been at the World Cup. And then to have them bring them in and go Lads, you've got to go and play a championship side on a cold Wednesday night. It's going to be tough, particularly if they've got any players that have made their way to the final. Let's say the final is England-Brazil, for example. Man U, that's a lot of players suddenly who are playing a couple of days before that, and they're not getting back for that fixture at all, are they? No. Um, so one, I suppose it then helps the teams promote youth, and that's what the competition does. Um, I think it's just a bonkers time to have the fixture, but it could then... It could then help the other 14, I guess. No. If you've got three of the big six all playing those few days just before then the Boxing Day fixtures, which are quite important as well. I think I, I think that is the summary about it. You know, the fact that, yeah, it is a bonkers time to be having the tournament. But like, like you said, there is literally no other time that we can have the competition. No. But it will be one of the, I think, one of the funnest Carabao Cups that we've had in a long, long time, just because of just how open it is right now. and. Mm. Literally, you're looking at, you know, put City aside because, you know, I I don't expect us to beat City at the the Etihad because it is ultimately their competition over the last three years. But but Man City have 16 players going to the World Cup. They do, but also Man City have an incredible squad. True, but 16 players is still like that. One and a half starting lineups, and most of them are playing for countries that will get pretty far into the tournament. Like, that will... I'm not saying... 
that writes them off completely. And then they do have the likes of Haaland who aren't going to the World Cup. But they, I think at this point, the, the World Cup is going to throw into a couple of weeks of football where I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in yeah. the League Cup and the Premier League as well. Those few games around just Christmas and New Year, I'm looking for some real upsets to take place. I think it's going to be a bit of a mad time for uh, for football. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, this, you're looking at this competition thinking that there could just be a genuine shock winner um, mm. this year. Like, and like Swansea. For, Swansea was a sw- shock exactly. winner, I think. I don't remember their run, but I don't remember them beating too many of the bigger sides beforehand. Um, and to say it's a great opportunity. Teams will be disappointed that they didn't get through, particularly when they've lost in a disappointing way. But good luck to all the teams that are still in there, um, particularly of the other yeah, 14. Yeah. I, well, we're only there's a chance that we'll have uh, six teams from the other 14 go through if they win their tyres. Obviously, we've only got the one other 14 tie with Newcastle v Bournemouth but the others yeah. looking at them Wolves you'd fancy to beat Gillingham touch with yeah. Southampton yeah. against Lincoln you fancy Southampton there Brighton against Charlton I know it's at the Valley but it's Brighton they are a good side Leicester against MK Dons and Midlands yeah and then I suppose the only one that's might be a bit harder is uh, Forest going to Blackburn because um just because Forest are uh, away and also Blackburn are pretty good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, literally all behind our, our other 14 contingents there. Yeah, exactly. It'll be really interesting to see. I hope they all go through and um, then hopefully the winner of Man City-Liverpool will draw against Man United, should Man U even get past Burnley, because I think yep. that'll be a challenge for them. So, um, yeah, League Cup. Best of luck. Like, for a tournament that's normally so casually written off by so many sides... I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this as the opportunity for silverware for the other 14, and I'm all for it. Absolutely. So we spoke about Ivan Tony not making the cup for the England squad for the World Cup in Qatar, which starts in just just less than a week now. It's absolutely Mad. crazy. Um, but there is significant other 14 presence at the World Cup in Qatar. So there's representation at the World Cup from 67 other 14 players, which is absolutely crazy. What an influence that is. Um, Obviously, understandably, a fair amount of England players. We've obviously put our other 14 England squads together. Um, I think we included pretty much most of these players, to be honest, Um, Tom, with uh, Nick Pope, Jordan Pickford, Kieran Trippier, Connor Cody, Declan Rice, Callum Wilson and James Madison all getting the nod, Um, which is absolutely fantastic in terms of uh, representation there. And then the next biggest team, once again, unsurprisingly, is the amount of Welsh players. So we've got... um, I think the biggest team, actually. Yeah, so we've got... Is it... Eight what eight Welsh players? Eight Welsh in players in comparison to yeah. seven from England. So, yeah. So there's uh, for our home nation fans, we've got um Hennessy, Danny Ward, Mepham, Williams, Wilson, Kiefer Moore, and uh Brennan Johnson and Dan James. Um which is great. Um, another ha- lot of home nation representation for the nation. Love it. Um I think that'll be then a really good fixture. England, Wales. A lot of other 14 presents in that game. So eyes will be on there. Um, were there any shocks for you in terms of 
level of country representation from the other 14, Tom? Yeah, we look at, you know, how much of a Belgian influence has been in the Premier League the last couple of years. And the fact that, again, we do have a, a another strong Belgian contingent and the fact that quite a number of the um, Leicester City Belgian players are going off the likes of Wout Fez, Timothy Castagna and Yuri Tielemans. Absolutely um, no doubt, I think, uh, performances, some of the performances that have been putting in this year, especially Tielemans, off to the World Cup. Mm. Um, He's been also captain pre- for... Sorry. Tielemans has obviously been Leicester's captain recently. Um, I saw him wearing the armband at the weekend when uh, at the London Stadium. So a lot of leadership in him, really yeah. been putting in those... Qu- considering the amount of links away from Leicester that were made um, in the I summer. I think that's what they, Yeah, that's what they tend to do, though. You know, you got one of those sort of big players um, who has, you know, links with the move they just think oh yeah have the armband you know it might might tempt you a little bit yeah um also looking at um ecuador the fact that you know we look at brighton's uh transfer strategy and recruitment strategy um three all ecuadorian players who um are representatives of the other 14 all come from brighton the likes of pervis stupinen moises castaido and jeremy sarmiento yeah which is i know that well, we talk about Brighton's recruitment plan of Brighton signing a player and everyone going, so who's that then? And well, they Ecuadorian nationals now and uh, representing their country at the World Cup. So um, that is really big for them. So particularly excited to see um, Caicedo and Estupinan as well, because they've been uh, they've been bright spots for Brighton this season, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think actually I was sort of looking at this and, the sh- one of the not so much shocking, but it was quite a surprising eye opener. The fact that you know Premier League do have a lot of French and Spanish players, but a lot of those who do play in the Premier League obviously play for the big six, and there's not a massive other fourteen presence um, with yeah. French and Spanish players. Oh, I think also Netherlands as well. Yeah, actually, there's no other fourteen um, represents. Uh, representation from the Netherlands. So looking at, and well, to be honest, then even looking at um, other 14 German representation, just the two men in Tilo Kera and Bella Kopcha from Southampton, um, which is mad. I know that if recent squads for Spain, I knew uh, Pablo Fornals of West Ham got into a couple of their squads last season. Yep. Um, Ariola for West Ham is then keeper for France, but whether he's back up for Loris or whether he starts ahead of him. Uh, Loris's performances have been a bit ropey this season at times, so maybe uh, Ariola will get the nod. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how underrepresented the other 14 are in some of these bigger nations. Yep. Um, but then we look at the likes of Brazil. you got Bruno Guimarães and Lu- Lucas Paqueta, who play for Newcastle and West Ham, and they'll be Based on particularly Gimmerich's performances this season, he, he should be a, he, he should be a starter for them, right? He I know, should be starting. I know that it's as always. Brazil have the fancy players, and you always go, "Oh, oh, look, oh, they've got Neymar, they've got Casemiro." Who, but realistically, Bruno's been putting in the performances, so he should be getting the start in my mind for Brazil for sure. Yeah, um, one of the standout players for the, in the Premier League this year. Yeah, and one thing that. I was intrigued by is looking at Ghana's representation here in the other 14. There's uh, five Ghanaian players. I know that we spoke about Tariq Lamptey the other week in that we, when we did our uh, other 14-11 for England and we both initially had him in a draft. But 
without realising that he had chosen to represent Ghana. Um, yeah. But Daniel Amati from Leicester, Salisu, Jordan Ayew and uh, Dennis Adoy. Um, good representation there from the other 14. And uh, I'll be interesting to see how Ghana do. And then unsurprisingly, Absolutely. three Wolves players. All play I was going to say that. That was, my ne- that was my next move. <laughs> yeah. Um, not really a surprise. I'm surprised it's actually as few as it is. It w- I was waiting for it to be about eight of the squad, to yep. be honest. So, um, yeah, it's looking like a really good World Cup in terms of the other 14 and we'll but yeah there. 67 representations that's that's incredible yeah that is um I know that there's one or two loanees who are currently at other clubs um, yeah and, the, but... and there's one due to sign in January for yeah. um for Australia in uh Gary cool yeah I couldn't name me any other Australian players at the moment to be no, honest so neither could I. um but no really good and it'll be interesting for us um when we do when we do our bonus World Cup podcasts, we will come back and look at the performances of the other 14 and their representation. So hopefully they'll all do all do a good job. I suppose for most of our listeners, predominantly being an English listener base, we'll be looking at the performances of the England players. Hopefully, I think we've got some starts in there. I think Jordan Pickford will definitely be in there. Um, on a, I think he's Gareth Southgate's number one. Kieran Trippier, with the way he's been playing recently. He should be starting, I'd like to think. Mm, for sure, he'll be and one choice right back, and without Declan Rice, doubt, Declan Rice is going to be there. That him and Bellingham in the middle of the park is going to be great. So, um, yeah, bring on, bring on the Qatar World Cup. Um, starts on the I think first game is on the nineteenth, which yeah. is the opening game. And as and we're then, doing the recording uh, today on Tuesday, the um, England squads and Welsh squads are flying out today, so it is getting ever so closer. Absolutely, and wow. It's then pretty intense, the group stages at least. We're going to have four games each day uh, for, to start off with, which normally we settle for three. But given the time difference as well, it's going to be football all day, which... It's like that David Mitchell skeb, uh, sketch. <laughs> yes, from Mitchell. Just football, more football every day, all the time. Look at the football, it's going to move! Yeah, and after that, we've got more football. Uh, but I, you know what? I was I I was skeptical about the Qatar World Cup as most fans were about being a Winter World Cup, but when you do end up sitting down, it's like oh, what is there on? Oh well, I'm going to go and watch Costa Rica v Japan. You kind of then really get into it, don't you? Because suddenly, yeah, you're looking I, I at... think. Go on. One, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, there has been uh, rightly so criticisms of uh, Qatar holding this World Cup. Absolutely, but the fact that we are now in a position where we're going to be sitting down. I, th- I think people have always said, oh, I just can't get into this World Cup. You know, it's, it's winter, it's, it's Qatar. Um, but I think once the games do start, um, you know, it, it's just going to become a festival of football as it always is. And exactly. um, yeah. And that's not taking away from the fact that the nature of like, obviously there are the accusations of sports washing, which are very serious and human rights issues, human rights issues, particularly then with the, how, looking at the, the labour and the nature of it, the way the stadiums were built, there are, I feel, justifiable concerns about this World Cup, for sure. And looking at other World Cups in the way it's been done and conducted, there are serious questions around Qatar World Cup. Um, yeah. But, but we shouldn't uh, be coming here in the first place. But yeah. We, but we're here ultimately, now. Ultimately, and this sounds really bad, but from the perspective of an England fan, we're probably in one of the strongest positions we ever have been to win a World Cup. And 
right there, there is a trade-off and i know rightfully people will be judged for that looking at it but i suppose it's that separation between are you able to celebrate your football team being success versus how they've got that success so we look at the likes of there were rightfully criticisms of abramovich's um ownership of chelsea of recent years particularly with the issue with the russia um in doing a uh, military operation training operation in ukraine also known as an invasion and of then the nature of the ownership of manchester city the nature of ownership of newcastle as well that yeah. it is one of those things that is difficult to look at as a complete neutral or sorry look at just as a complete fan it is hard it puts to... fans in a really awkward position mm-hmm. and fans shouldn't have to have to be in that position in the yeah. first place and ultimately fans looking at a world cup like this it's it's the world cup it's huge and um, it's not bigger than anyone anyone's life and you look at how the numbers quoted around the assembly of the stadiums and that sort of thing yep it is looking at it is quite horrifying but looking at it just purely on a footballing basis I don't know it's really difficult and there is no right answer I I know there are going to be lots of uh, people boycotting the World Cup this year I do also appreciate and respect that um, there are also loads of people that will be going out to the World Cup and cheering on their team and you look at that and go well they're just cheering on their team they're being they're being football fans and can you just turn a blind eye to that I don't know it's very difficult and we'll yep. wait and see I suppose we'll only be able to judge judge it based on the outcome and how it all finishes in the end. But we'll wait and see how the World Cup goes in Qatar. And we will be feeding back to you throughout that time away. Um, absolutely. Plenty of, yeah, absolutely. Plenty of bonus content coming along the way. We're going to be looking at squads. Um, we're going to be picking up our other 14, uh, 11 uh, from um, these uh, the teams out in Qatar and uh, plenty of others uh, to look forward to during the uh, the six-week break. Yes, and once again, if you have any World Cup-focused questions for us on the other 14, do send them our way. At night, when all alone, Tom slips into his bed, makes sure that he's nice and comfortable. He then opens up his phone, clicks on his internet browser and opens in private browsing, and then he searches filthiest finishes. It's goal of the week. Goal of the week. Right. In comparison to last week, Yuri Tiedemann's finish against uh, Everton. Yeah. Yuri Tiedemann's goal against Everton. Fantastic. Up there with one of the goals of the season. This week, uh, just it, it, I'm not going to say it's a little bit of a letdown, but don't have that much in the way of shortlist because there wasn't that many to sort of scream home about. There were a lot of good finishes, but not many sort of standouts. Um, so I don't know about you, Reese, but I've got two in my shortlist. So I suppose, Tom, and this might be just your relationship to high quality goals. It seems to me like you're a bit of an addict, and when you reach a certain high, the following high can never. Re- you can never reach quite the way you're feeling. So obviously you experienced probably 
the goal equivalent of grey day morphine straight into the veins yeah and now everything else you try and look for doesn't quite scratch that itch does it and this week there wasn't quite the uh class a performances on show that really lit up your veins so i agree with you the there were some very there were some good goals and some good finishes and maybe i'd say some rather than just some outstanding individual goals which we're normally used to on goals of the week there've definitely been some more team focused goals so yeah. i look at I'm, I'm all for a team goal so in terms of like team goals and we mentioned it earlier i really like both of brentford's goals First one, the ball whipped in, Ben Mee flicks it on, Tony scores. The counter-attack for Tony's second at the death, really, really good. Um, I'm a big fan of the way the ball was worked across for James Madison's goal against West Ham, the way they, uh, the intricate play of knocking it across the box for Madison. Yep. So I think there's not necessarily the standout individual goal that we're used to, but I still think there is some very good football that was on show. I also put my um my token um Newcastle goal Joe Willock against Chelsea. I think that you know it, also a result that we haven't mentioned. Um, but I think that was one that was I think less surprising that Newcastle have been on such a run, and uh, Chelsea have been on a bit of a slide under Graham Potter. Um, thunderous finish uh, just from outside the box for Joe Willock. Yeah, I have also yet yeah, got Ivan Tony's winner against City as one of my um nominees for this week just because of what it means yet yeah, great counter-attacking football and the fact that it is a winner in the um dying embers of a game against manchester city at the etihad hmm. um those two were my sort of prime candidates but I, I do see where you're coming from in regards to james madison yet yeah, nice team goal and for a player who's you know clearly on a high after being um, selected in the england squad but i think the two that i'm mainly focusing on for this week will be ivan tony um his second goal against um, City mainly I think I, I do get where you're coming from with this first goal but I think just for what it means no oh, absolutely yeah it was the winning was a, goal and it was the yeah. better of the two goals I'll give you that yeah absolutely and also Joe Willock's finish against um, Chelsea uh, for Newcastle because you know it's goal of the week we have to have a Newcastle player in them you know them's the rules yeah and it was and the only goal they honest, scored and to be honest, Almiron was very close to a volley from the edge of the box, which you yep. wouldn't have put past him. It, um, it sailed over the crossbar, but not by a huge amount. No. Um, and once again, it was a goal in we're taking the scalp of a big six side. So we yep. obviously haven't spoken about that result at length that much, but Newcastle really is a fortress um, up at St. James's Park. A Chelsea side that hasn't been that great since Tuchel's gone and Unlucky Potter, um, yeah. But they've not been so they've not been that great. And Newcastle very much have been playing really well. Once again, played really well and got got a one nil. Exactly what they do. They score goals and don't, don't really concede that much. And they so, score bangers. And that that, that goal of the, that goal of the season competition at the end of the at uh, the end of the year is going to be. I, I yeah, that's going to be incredible to watch. Absolutely. So their compilation of just class goals is uh, unbelievable. Mm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you on both those runs. Both really good goals, both against the big six going for them, both winning goals. It's it's not an easy one, even though there's not a huge amount of goals to go on about. Um, I don't think I don't think it's an easy decision for you to make to give hand out your uh, hand out your goal of the week award. It's not an easy one, but it's it's a decision that I'm I'm comfortable with and and happy in in the knowledge that I, I think it's going to the um, um, to a rightful winner 
and that is Ivan Tony. You know, you've got to look at what that goal meant. It is Brentford beating Manchester City. Brentford had never scored in this fixture, and they obviously have changed that. They now have three points to uh, celebrate um, for the first time ever mm. uh, at the Etihad. So, yeah, that's, you know, Ivan Tony redemption arc for not being selected um, in the England squads and uh, a last minute sort of last gas winner against Manchester City. I, I think, you know, I don't think with a really nice counter attack um for Brentford I don't think there's any deserving any more deserving winner uh, for so, this, you know, so there you go Ivan Tony you may not have been picked by Southgate but you have been picked by Tom for goal of the week love you Ivan oh well Tom you've had some great weeks recently and then it's gone a little bit sour for you hasn't it so we of course are talking about our favorite part of the show which is the fab four predictions game although Tom might not be that positive about it this week. So the games we predicted in last episode uh, was Bournemouth v Everton, West Ham v Leicester, Forest v Palace and Brighton versus Villa. Um, If we look at the positives for you, I guess, um, well, you said both teams were going to score in Brighton v Villa. You said both teams were going to score. Um, which which did happen? No, Reese, don't do it. You know, I've I've had a bad week. Yeah, there's the don't don't try and brighten it up for me. I know I've had a bad week. Well, yeah, it's it's not great. So if we run through the results one by one, so um, Bournemouth v Everton, Bournemouth won. It was three 0 wasn't it? Yeah, I haven't actually quite normally copied the result. Yeah, so hang on. So Bournemouth v Everton, Bournemouth won three 0 You predicted. A and sorry, you predicted an Everton away win, which, yep. in all fairness, Bournemouth haven't been that great, but they turned it round. That's a good result for them to kind of end that run of uh, that winless run. Um, I predicted it for it to be a two-one Bournemouth win, so I got one point on the game there. Fair play. Um, then West Ham v Leicester. You were very optimistic about David Moyes' men, weren't you? Thinking that they would win two-one. But they did lose 2-0 thanks to James Madison and Harvey Barnes's goals. And I rightfully predicted for Leicester to win 2-0. So that is three points to me for the game. Um, then for the other two fixtures, we weren't as strong. We both thought that Palace would go to the city ground and do a job against Forest. Wasn't the case as Forest came out 1-0 winners. And then Brighton v Villa, we said both teams were going to score. We thought, you know, Deserby's team are playing well. Unai Emery, up and running good, fast. We we did say it was going to be a good game. And in all fairness, it was a good game. Um, a lot of drama in the game. Penalty, Dannings, Brace. Um, but we predicted draws apiece. So zero points for us both there. Yep. So Tom, you stay on 20 points after a zero point week. And for me, with those four points from the game week, um, that has put me on to 25 points. So re-establishing a nice comfy comfy gap between us now, Tom. Um, yeah. Like, it, it wasn't a great week for you. To no, that's, that, that really wasn't the week I was hoping for. You know what I likened it to? It was, um, you know, you, you're trying to see off the last ball of, a, of the day in a test match. Um, you just want to survive, get, get to the break. Um, and then you just miss a straight one and get bowled and you look like an idiot. So, um, yeah, zero points, not not happy. 
not not great. And now you've got, unfortunately, because the game will have to be suspended while we do not have any Premier League fixtures. Um, you've got a long time to uh, to rue over your rue over your errors of the game week. Yeah, and think I... about your strategy. Like how many managers will be thinking about their strategy going yeah, into the Yeah, I feel like Frank Lampard right now. You're the kind of having to adopt a Frank Lampard role in that. Yeah. You've had some a bit of a miserable spell and that you're going to have to turn it around and really have some hard reflective moments over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll be having some strong words for myself. Don't you worry. Oh, good. Um, well, for the purposes of competition, I hope you come back stronger with uh, some great results. Tom, normally this would be the part of the show where we would go through and I would get you to read out next week's fixtures, but um, we can't there are because none. we've got to wait until Boxing Day. So obviously fans will want to stay engaged with the Fab Four prediction game with us. Um, so what will happen is we will be predicting the Boxing Day fixtures. We will be doing that on one of our bonus episodes um, just before the resumption of the Premier League. So don't you worry. If you just keep refreshing that podcast feed, all our bonus episodes will come through and will include our Fab Four predictions for those Boxing Day fixtures. And hopefully by then, Tom will have transformed his strategy and will be a better competitor going I'll forward. I'll be a new man. Hopefully you will. And of course, over the World Cup period, you can still get in contact with us on the Other 14 podcast. So you can find us on Twitter at Other 14 podcast, or alternatively, email us any questions or comments on the Other 14 pod at gmail.com. That's the Other 14 pod at gmail.com. So that brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast podcast we now have a world cup to look forward to so do not miss our world cup content you will be able to keep on top of it by subscribing to the other 14 podcast on your podcast platform of choice and please do recommend us to your friends family and other fans of the other 14 so thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the podcast with tom and myself so it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we will see you on our bonus episode of The Other 14 Podcast.